Usually, I preface a sermon with a request that you be seated. But us, you are at home. Do as you will. Pajamas are acceptable. <laughs> Today is the second Sunday of Easter. It is meant as a joyful celebration in the season of thanksgiving for God's grace. I find it very difficult for me to access that emotion this year. The sadness, pain, and suffering surrounding COVID-19 has depressed my better nature. I find that there are moments of joy in prayer, in worship, here at St. James and with my congregation in Spark Hill, in family, in friends, in WQXR, <laughs> in spring beauty. But I keep looking over my shoulder at the events of Holy Week, at the disciples' desertion of Jesus, at the cruelty of guards and crowds, of the pernicious self-preservation of leaders, and of the horror of the crucifixion itself. The emotion tone of these factors fits far, far better the dark moment we are in. I look, therefore, to my faith as a Christian to help me make sense of this age. Let's look at today's Gospel for John for some clarity. Jesus miraculously appeared among his disciples who were self-isolated behind locked doors in fear that they would also be arrested for sedition. The disciples were tormented. They had deserted Jesus at his trial, his anguished walk to Golgotha, and at his crucifixion. They must have been shaken in thinking what his response would be to their cowardly actions. In what is certainly a hallmark of unconditional love, he greets them instead in the traditional manner of welcome and acceptance. Peace be with you. After showing them the wounds of his crucifixion, affirming that he was, in fact, the risen Jesus, he gets right to the point of calling them into ministry. Right to the point. Peace be with you, he says again, adding, as the Father has sent me, so I now send you. Jesus wastes no time in small talk, but immediately directs them into a renewed discipleship. Then Jesus radically alters the relationship between God and humankind. He breathes the Holy Spirit into them. Jesus knew that he was departing from them, and so he leaves with them spiritual power. It is this indwelling of the Holy Spirit that has formed the strength and guidance that disciples have relied on to this current day. Jesus sent his disciples then and now into the world to spread the good news. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the mystery upon which faith is built. 
But this also sets up conflict within Christian tradition. One stresses the conversion of people to Christianity, while the other stresses, stresses doing works of peace and justice in the world empowered by Jesus' teaching. We have needed a synthesis between these two, which is exactly what our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, has called for in declaring that we are the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement. As we work for a more just world in a church proclaiming inclusivity, inquiry, and meaningful and beautiful worship, we must ground our common and individual lives in the teachings of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Before leaving his disciples that evening, having gifted them with the Holy Spirit, he gave them the power to forgive sin. Too often this has been understood as a power given only to the church and its clergy. <clears throat> However, forgiveness is something we all need to share and experience. For any one of us to accept God into our life, we have to come to a reckoning with our own imperfections, or theologically speaking, our sins. In much of our life, we are ensnared by denial. We don't want to look at the shadow, the darkness which keeps us from growth or trust. We are strangely dependent on our imperfections. Before any disciple can forgive sin, he or she must open up and face their own darkness or confusion, or to use a theological term again, to confess. Looking again at John's Gospel, if this doesn't occur, then the sins are retained. To paraphrase an old spiritual, you can't be on the heaven train without throwing off the baggage of your self-deceit. Looking at the world today from our advantaged positions, I wonder if we aren't called, called towards a communal confession. Something is terribly wrong with the way in which we have attended to our island home. We will need to increasingly wrestle with and challenge the powers and principalities of this nation and the world. We have to focus on climate change and reverse its downward death spiral. We need to share our resources nationally and internationally with those less fortunate. The wealth disparity in this nation has got to end or we will lose our democracy. For a wealthy nation, far too many of our citizens suffer from food insecurity. We have the highest prison population in the world, accentuated by racism. Too many citizens turn to alcohol and drugs for relief from societal problems. We need to provide access to technology so that the poor and disenfranchised can participate in the economy. In other words, as Christians, if we take Jesus' call to ministry seriously, we have a lot of work to do. The start is an honest appraisal, individually and communally, of how we let this country and the world get into the mess it is now in. It's not going to be easy, easy given the powers of self-protection, our own, and the structures of the world. 
So in these days that waver between Easter joy and viral depression, I continue looking over my shoulder at the events of Holy Week. The one image that stands out repeatedly is the cross. In the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus tells his disciples to take up your cross and follow me. This has always been a challenge because I have never known in specifics what this meant for me. Then comes along COVID-19. And I have seen what it has meant for other Christians. The ER doctor in a Bronx hospital who prays over every patient and for himself that he doesn't contract the virus. The nurse in a New Jersey nursing home who prays over dying residents. The cook in a home for the mentally challenged who goes to work every day praying that she and the residents don't fall ill. I have read and seen many testimonies from Christians who are taking up the cross as healthcare workers, first responders, cashiers, and delivery people, praying for themselves, those with whom they work, and for whom they work. There are, of course, all those of other varying faiths and of no faith who are also acting heroically in face of ill health and death as they care for those in desperate need. We mourn for those who have died from the virus. Our faith is that they are beyond pain and folded in God's love. For those still wrestling with the disease and those working with them, our prayers are continuous. No one is beyond the reach of God's love. COVID-19 has shown how interdependent we all are. Let us learn from it, daring not to return to normalcy once the vaccine is discovered. Let us learn in new ways to work for peace and justice. Let us put Jesus' teachings into practice. The news he brings is indeed good. So we can be proud do-gooders, letting the mystery of God's love work through us. Amen.